Social storms surround us as the culture attempts to redefine faith and morality. Christians are confused, wondering how to respond to the changing winds of society. Some people run and hide from the danger, choosing isolation over confrontation. Others respond in fear, which inevitably leads to aggression. Still more are blown back and forth by the winds of public opinion. Sadly, their faith is not rooted in the Word of God. First, we must resist the temptation to selfishly turn inward in isolation. But we must also remember that our church's first priority is not simply to grow bigger. Instead, God is leading us to grow deeper. Imagine the resurrected Jesus standing on a mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He's preparing the disciples for his departure. And as he does, it's recorded in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Our church is not just praying for a season of spiritual improvement. We're seeking God for a lasting strategy of disciple making. We don't just want to reach, we want to teach people across the upstate to love and live for Jesus. We are growing deeper. Our goal is first to see people come to know Jesus, but then we want to see them grow as devoted followers of Jesus. We want to help you grow deeper in four unique ways. Connection with Christ, community with believers, commitment to the mission, and commission to the lost. We are growing deeper. True spiritual formation is simple. It's about creating pathways for lost people to be found by the grace of Jesus Christ and then teaching saved people how to faithfully follow in His footsteps. This means you are called to obey His commands and pursue His mission with your whole heart. Deeper means that we are more than the masses assembled on Sunday morning. We are people being shaped daily in God's image and for God's purposes in the world. Deep inside the heart of man is a longing to connect. We all search for this connection in friendships, family, hobbies, and careers. And these connections, they define who we are. So what if the connection that defined us the most was our relationship with Christ? That relationship, it's meant to be deeply rooted, always growing and maturing as we become more like Him. And think about it, that's why we exist as a church, to connect people in the upstate with Jesus to change their world. And the mission starts with you and me. And we can't effectively connect others to Jesus until we're connected ourselves. So let me ask you this, how's your prayer life? Are you making personal time with Jesus a daily priority? We desire to see Jesus in the center of every home of Upstate Church. And how can we make that happen? It will only happen as you and me grow deeper in our connection with Christ. One thing's for sure, we can't grow deeper alone. We were created to live our lives in community with others. The Bible teaches us that life is lived better together as we celebrate one another's victories and we carry each other's burdens. Yes, we're growing deeper in community, but how will this happen? We're all going to have to take next steps. Some need to join a small group for the first time in their lives, while others will step up and lead a new group. We will grow deeper by studying God's Word, by finding opportunities to serve others, and creating environments of vulnerability, accountability, and support. We're not just asking you to join a group, we're inviting you to grow deeper in community. We're growing deeper in our commitment to the mission. And by commitment, we mean stewardship, and not just in the area of financial generosity. 
We are convinced that a Christian's financial giving is directly connected to their spiritual maturity. So we're asking every member to become a personal investor in the mission of the church. This means that every member must find a starting point of commitment and then move forward faithfully from being faithfully present to being consistently invested as a surrendered follower of Jesus Christ. How can we give anything less than our very best to the mission of the church? We are growing deeper. Jesus makes it clear, if we are following him, growing in him, and committed to him, we will be disciple-making disciples. There are no exclusions or excuses given for Christians who want to pass. We are all expected to share the gospel regularly. How can we grow deeper in our commission to the world? Ultimately, it's all about making disciples. That is praying for gospel connections, seeking gospel conversations, and giving gospel invitations. Our target is 1.4 million people who live across the upstate of South Carolina. Can you imagine what God would do if we made 72,000 gospel connections over the next two years? That would be one connection a month for each of us. Imagine if just four of those 12 connections you make this year go one step further. That would produce 24,000 gospel conversations. We believe that hundreds of lives will be changed as a natural result of God using this effort. Literally hundreds of disciples will be made as you are obedient to the Great Commission. And we believe this will lead to a celebration of 500 baptisms by the end of 2025. Without God, no way. But with Him, we're growing deeper. Our God-sized goal is simple. We hope to see Jesus in the center of every home in the upstate of South Carolina. But remember, that's never gonna happen until we see Jesus in the center of every home in upstate church. What's the strategy? What's the plan? How can we even begin to accomplish such a task? Well, I'd be the first one to agree with the words of Jesus in John 15, 6 where he said, without him, we can do nothing. But here's the truth. With him, all things are possible. It's a different story. We won't just be a church that makes disciples. We want to become a church of disciple makers. Yes, God has been doing great things, but he's just getting started. So you may ask, what's next? Well, we're growing deeper for the glory of God. Well, good morning, Harrison Bridge. Welcome to our second week here in our new sanctuary. I cannot tell you how great last Sunday was. If you miss it, that's okay. We're going to have plenty more Sundays in here. Looking forward to continuing to see how God will use this building. I'll tell you this, as excited as I was for last Sunday and how long we've been looking forward to that moment, that day, that Sunday, I'm even more excited for these next four weeks. Pat outlined it earlier. Uh, these next four weeks, I believe, are so crucial, especially if you're a follower of Jesus in and among our orbit here at Upstate Church, because it really lays the runway for where we're going over the next two years. And, and here's the reason why I, I think it's so crucial. 
A lot of times we, we care and pour resources and commit to things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Now, it's not to say they're unimportant, right? I told the first service, important uh, day coming up on, on Tuesday. I'm a dad of a four-year-old. She was just sitting right down here on the front just a minute ago showing me her ring pop in the middle of the worship. And uh, it's an important day on Tuesday because she gets to be Sky from uh, the Mighty Pups and all that. But I look forward to that day because I know there are only a certain number of those days, right? She, when she's like 10, 11, 12, she'll tell daddy not to dress up with her. But I bought a full-on Chase uh, Mighty Pups suit. Mel said, what are you buying here? And I said, as long as my girl wants to dress up, we're dressing up. And so I will be Chase on Tuesday. But I think about that and I think, you know, the next important debate, Pat mentioned it. He's wrong on it. But Christmas music starts in the Watson home on November the 1st. Bing Crosby is going to be queued up that morning and in the office as well. Uh, I am a big proponent of, I love to celebrate Jesus' birth as much as I can. And if you're not of that, that's okay. Uh, you can grow in your walk with Jesus too. Uh, we're going deeper these next two years, right? No, but here's the thing. Those things, as silly as they are, as important as we may make them, at the end of the day, they're not that important. You know, they, they matter, but do they really matter? And so the next four weeks are going to frame these next two years for us about what really matters for us as a church and as individual followers of Jesus. And so my hope, my prayer, my, dare I even say, expectation for you if you're a follower of Jesus would be that you lean in over these next four weeks and you hear what God is doing in and amongst our church. And as we look forward to what's ahead here as a church, as they noted on the video, there are four areas that we're focusing in on. It's connection, it's commitment, it's community, and it's commission. You'll hear about this over the next four weeks. Today, we're focusing in on our connection with Christ, our connection with him and what that looks like. And we'll be in John 15. You can go ahead and be flipping there. John 15, we'll read verses 1 through 11 in just a moment. But it's key for us to understand the parameters of this passage because you can get knee deep into this passage. And it, even for me, like I'll, I'll start reading it. I'm like, wait a second, Jesus says this and he says it another way here and he repeats this over here. And I'm confused by the end of these 11 verses. So to give us a, a little bit of a runway, here's what's going on. John 15 is the last of the seven I am statements. You say, what does that mean? It's not, the I am statements are seven statements that John shows us that Jesus says to frame the gospel of John. So if you've never read the gospel of John, it's super helpful to look for these statements. Jesus will say, I'm the bread of life, and then he'll go on to explain it. He'll say, I'm the living water, and he'll go on to explain it. Here in John 15, he says he is the true vine, and he will go on to explain what that means and how we should respond to that. And so this is the last of these statements as far as context goes. This is, in short order, he will be crucified. He will not see another night on this earth in his earthly life. He will be crucified before the next day is over. And so these are pivotal words here. Even you can back up to John 13 as he sits in the upper room with, with the uh, 12 disciples and they share the Passover, the Last Supper, and Jesus tells them about what's about to happen. By the time we hit John 15, they have left the upper room, most commentators say, I believe this too, and they are on their way to the garden. And along the way, you, can, you, you take this path and you look up and you see on the temple, and they say this is probably what Jesus was pointing to, a golden vine. And so Jesus plays off of this for the imagery that he gives his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a gardener or a vine dresser. 
that is outlined here. I told the last service, uh, my mom has a green thumb. I don't have a green thumb, right? If you come over to the Watson household, we have new plants on a pretty regular basis. And you're like, oh, they keep up with their yard and they're keeping up with the Joneses. No, we just forget the water them and they die and we go buy some more and plant some others there. It it's just doesn't cross our minds from Melody or me to water plants, right? We, that's just not an essential thing in our lives. And so I'll tell you, when I started in ministry a decade ago, one of the things my mom, you know, my loving mom, she says, I want to buy you something for your office. And I said, cool. She said, I want to get you a plant. And I said, Mom, let me just save you some money, save you some time. It will die, right? If you walk in my office, it's a very bland office. I, I'm not one who puts stuff up on the walls and this and that. I, got, I want to spend my time in other ways, right? So if you literally walk in my office, my diplomas are still on the ground. Why? It's not because I'm lazy. I, I'm just like, I don't want to take the time to put it up on there. I got to focus on other things. If you walk in my office, the plant that my mom bought me is sitting right beside a chair. You'll sit in. And there's not even a table for it. Now, here's the thing. When she bought me that, that plant, she insisted on it. I said, all right, well, here's the deal. Give me something that is hard to kill. Like, literally, I cannot water it for months, and it'll be okay. And so she bought me this, like, Japanese bamboo thing. And it's, like, all crazy now. I have literally forgotten to water that thing months on end sometimes. It's still living by the grace of God here. And it's just a reminder that... I am not a good vine dresser, right? I, I don't necessarily look at those things and, and say, oh, that plant needs water, right? That, this is what needs to happen here. There's a plant that needs water to grow and continue to live. It just never crosses my mind. So in this imagery here that Jesus has given, for me, it, it's so key that we have to understand what he's saying and who it reflects. So Jesus will refer to himself as the true vine. The vine dresser we'll hear about in the opening verse here in just a moment is God. And we are reflected as the branches there. And that is the branches that are connected to the true vine. And it's essential to understand this as we walk through this. So look with me. Chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says this. I am the true vine and my father, that is God, God the father, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as, it, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we're going to unpack this through three different phrases, points here, if you will. But the overarching thing we're going to see here today, that going deeper uh, 
starts with staying connected to Christ. Going deeper starts with staying connected to Christ. And so if you're a first-time guest or you've been here a few times and, and you know that you don't know Jesus, understand this, one, you are in the exact right place. I try to say this almost every week. You are exactly where you need to be today. Hopefully you felt welcomed and loved. But if you're coming to the realization already that I don't know this Jesus they're already talking about, here's the move. Here's the move to that connection for you. And it's that you would realize today as you hear about this Jesus that you need a point of turning from your sins and turning to trust in Jesus as the one who you wholly depend upon. And this word we've heard over and over in 11 verses that you abide in. And we'll unpack that in a minute. But that's the invitation on the table for you. For the person who doesn't know Jesus, the move for you is simply this. That you would come to know him and connect with him for the first time and see how he will change everything in your life there. For the person who is walking with Jesus, here's what this looks like for you. The first of three points for you is this. Someone connected to Christ remains in him. It's the first thing we see. Someone connected to Christ remains in him. Now, I've already noted the word there, abide. If you're like me, this word seems like it comes up a hundred times in 11 verses here. And I'm asking the question because it's not a word that we use a lot, right? I don't go and talk the melody and be like, well, I was abiding over here and you were abiding. That's weird, right? Nobody talks like that. So what does it mean to abide? How, how do we unpack that? Because it's pretty clear. If Jesus is repeating it this many times in 11 verses, it matters. It carries with it significant weight. So what does it mean? Well, to put it in, in our terms, to really to define it as Jesus defines it here, abiding means remaining in Christ in that connection. And the word picture he gives there is that he is that true vine and that the branches who are you and me that are followers of Jesus, we are vitally and crucially connected to the true vine. That we abide in him, that we find our source of strength, our source of a foundation, a solid foundation, we find in him. And so abiding means remaining, staying connected with him. And if you're like me, you're like, okay, Corey, I, I still don't quite put it all together. Well, I'll tell you this. I had the opportunity the other week to share the gospel. A guy uh, reached out to the office, and he, he was connected with our, our campus, and, and he said this. He said, I, I, I want to talk about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And, and let me be clear. Like, it was a busy day. But that's a day or a meeting that I will rearrange my whole schedule for. So I dropped some things, shifted some things around. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in the parlor looking at this man. And he asked me this question. He says, how do I know that I know Jesus? Essentially what he was asking, how do I know that I abide in Jesus, that I remain in Jesus, that Jesus has changed my life? And we were sitting there and I used the illustration of a chair and I don't really have a chair up here. So here's, here's the illustration in here. To abide in Jesus means to wholly remain in him, which simply means this. Right? I'm trusting that Wes Walker got this from a reputable place and that this is well made here. That the person did what they needed to do to put this. So my whole trust in this moment is on this table right here. I am wholly dependent upon the maker of this table. I am at the mercy of the maker of this table. So this is what it means to abide in Jesus. I am wholly resting upon Jesus. I find my source, my connectivity, my foundation in him. But so often the temptation for many of us when it comes to abiding in Jesus completely and wholly is that we, we get this moment of where we trust in Jesus at our salvation, but then we try to turn the Christian life into something like this, that, okay, Jesus, I'm with you here, but the rest of my life I'm going to take care of myself over here. And that's how a lot of Western Christians 
function in today's world. And it's no wonder we don't see the change in our lives or the change in our communities that we long to see or that Jesus has told us we should see. And it's because we are not abiding in him. We are not wholly remaining in Jesus. We are not remaining connected in him. So the question becomes, how do we do that? We'll talk more in just a second, but notice this. For the person who knows Jesus, abiding in Jesus is the expectation. It's not optional. Jesus makes that clear again and again. We abide, we abide, we abide. This is the only way the branch finds life. This is the only way the branch remains alive. We abide in Jesus. It's not a one-time decision, but this is an active posture, an active form of obedience here. It's not just, oh, I I abided in Jesus at my salvation, but it is a continuous act in our lives that I constantly need to be reaffirming. I constantly need to be remaining in that connection with Jesus there. Now, the flip side of this, the negative side, is that Jesus says, if you do not abide in me, the branch will be cut off and thrown to the side and it will wither and it will be thrown into the fire and burn. It's one of the most terrifying statements that he makes. Now, at this moment, Jesus is walking with the disciples to the garden. Stands, there's one disciple who's not there. We know him by the name of Judas. In the upper room, Judas was there, but we know if you go read the previous chapter that Judas leaves at some point between the upper room and when they are walking to the garden. And he leaves to betray Jesus. Now, check this out. Judas looks the part. Judas has walked with Jesus for two to three years. Judas has heard the teachings of Jesus front and center more than you and I could hear. He has seen the miracles. He has seen the blind healed, the lame walk. He has seen the thousands fed. He has seen the dead raised. I mean, you couldn't ask for any more. But what we know is, in just short order, he will be betraying Jesus with a kiss. And so this is who is in mind here when Jesus speaks of the branch that doesn't remain that's gathered up and thrown in the fire. Now, I don't know about you, but that is terrifying because I know there are some times in my life where I'm not really remaining. I'm not really wholly dependent upon Jesus as I should be. And so it raises the question, well, does that mean I don't know Jesus? Does that mean I need to wake up every morning and pray that Jesus will save me again? Understand this, the Bible does not teach that. In fact, in John 10, Jesus makes it clear that those who are in the Father's arms, those who have been changed by Jesus, remain in the Father's arms. But make it clear, that is not a passive position. That is an active position because of the life change that Jesus has given us. That is, rather than one foot in, one foot out, it is an active form of wholly dependent upon Christ. This is what this looks like in our lives. And so how do I make sure I'm not a branch that's not bearing fruit and getting cut off? It's, hey, I'm trusting in the salvation that Jesus has saved me. I'm leaning into that, that I have placed my faith in him and he has changed everything about my life because of it. And even on those hard days where I'm not necessarily reflecting the fruit, we'll talk about that in a moment, that I am remaining connected with him wholly, that I am leaning into him there. But practically speaking, what does this look like? How how do I ensure that connection remains fully dependent in my life? Well, you heard it mentioned on the video, and you'll hear a lot more about this. We believe, and I, and I believe this in my life, one of the primary ways, in fact, I would probably say the primary way in my individual life 
that I ensure that I am wholly dependent upon Christ is that I'm feeding myself the word of God in a regular basis. In fact, I would dare say a daily basis. Not only feeding myself the word of God, but praying in light of that to God and hearing from God. What we call a devotional time. Now, it sounds very minimalistic. Oh, well, I'm just here today to hear that I need a devotional time and I need to wake up for the crack of dawn and sip on some coffee and read some verses. Listen, I'm not a morning person. You call me at 5 a.m. with emergency, it's probably a good chance I'm going to miss your call. I'm sorry. I just, I'm a heavy sleeper. I'm not up before the crack of dawn reading the word of God. Just be completely transparent. It's probably not going to happen. God didn't wire me that way. But what he has wired in me is a longing, a desire, a need for the discipline of my heart to pour the word in on a regular basis in my life. How do I make sure that my wayward, evil, wicked heart on its own remains in Jesus, remains connected to Jesus? How do I ensure that I'm wholly dependent on him? I hear about the Jesus that I need every morning. I hear about the Jesus that I need in my life as I open the word and I let that drive my prayer life. And so here's the move here. Even just for the first week of deeper, what's the takeaway here? We want to see our people engaging in the word of God regularly. And I would say it's not out of bounds to say every day. I made a commitment back in 2014. I came to the realization that if I would have anything to offer, not just in ministry, but in everyday life to anyone of any worth, I needed to read the word of God every day of my life. Now, nine years in, I've done it. There's going to come a day where I probably don't. Now, I'm not sitting down and reading Exodus every day. There's some days I read a verse, okay? There's some days I read a chapter. But I'm trying to train my heart that to wholly, be wholly dependent upon Jesus, man, I got to feed my heart the word of God regularly. Six years ago, I made a commitment on top of that to say, man, I need to read through the whole word of God every year. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm not committed to a plan or, or something that takes me to places that I don't normally read or make me uncomfortable, I'm never going to read those parts. I'll only read what's comfortable to me. And I know I need to hear the uncomfortable parts. I know I need to hear the parts I, I'm not as familiar with. And so every year I read through the word of God. And that's intentional because I know the wickedness of my heart. Folks, if we are to remain in Christ, as people who are connected to Christ, if we are to be actively abiding in him, we need the word of Christ in our lives. And so our hope is, is that on January 1, we're starting a reading plan together as a church on Version app. Yes, we're, we're using the Version app. Here's why. It's an easy way to be connected with one another. It's an easy way to discuss what we're reading with one another and to pray for one another. And so the QR code that Pat mentioned up there, the connect QR code, if you didn't get it, we can give it to you later. There's an opportunity for you to go ahead and get on board with that plan there and read together as a church. Someone connected to Christ remains in him. Leads us to the second point here. Someone connected to Christ produces fruit. Someone connected to Christ produces fruit. See, I don't know about you, but I like to jump to this point. And I'll, I'm the type of guy, I love metrics. I mentioned last week, I love numbers. I, I love seeing growth of stuff. And so for me, it's real easy to just say, okay, okay, I get the abiding in Christ, but I need to move to the fruit. And then what happens is the downside to that is I start measuring whether I know Jesus or not, whether outwardly I'm looking like Jesus or not. Now, now let's be clear. Fruit is expected for the Christian. That is expected here. Jesus doesn't say, well, if you produce fruit, but when you produce fruit. 
If I am walking with Jesus and remaining with him, pouring his word in my life, then fruit should be a natural byproduct. Now, am I producing fruit every single day? No. There are seasons where I don't produce the fruit that I should. So if you're in that boat with me, well, you're in good company here. So don't put this unrealistic perfection pressure on yourself. But it is a call here in this passage that the branch will produce fruit. And notice here the role of the father, the vine dresser. He prunes the branch. That is, he changes us so that we can produce more fruit. How does he change us? Through the word of God. We'll talk in a few weeks through the community of God and living that out. He changes my heart through the word of God to produce more fruit. To abide in him means I should naturally produce fruit. So don't miss it. Abiding in Christ is the foundation. Fruit is the byproduct that we should produce there. That when I rightfully abide in Christ, fruit should there, therefore follow. So what does this look like? What kind of fruit are we talking about here? Because when, when we think of fruit in these terms and times, we often just shove it over to the super spiritual or those who are uh, paid vocational staff or the missionaries over there. But me living in Simpsonville, South Carolina, I don't know about fruit in my life as a follower of Christ. But it is the expectation. So what is fruit? Well, it's the obedience to Christ's commands that produce fruit. You can find a very practical list in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are things we should be growing in. They're not final check marks, but as I live for Jesus day after day, I'm growing in these markers here. You can find another list in Colossians that Paul gives. Again and again, the Bible spells it out, the type of fruit that we are to bear, the type of fruit that is supposed to be showing up in my life. But to sum it up from a big picture standpoint, the fruit that is in my life, that should exist in my life as a follower of Jesus is simply this, that I'm growing to be more like him day after day after day. That is sanctification. That is being made more in the image of God day after day after day. To put it this way, we are growing to be like little Christ in light of the main Christ. We are growing to reflect that day after day after day. So a marker here to ask ourselves is simply this. Do I look more like Jesus in what I read in the Gospels because I'm reading the Word regularly? Do I look more like that today than I did last year? Am I reflecting the fruit of Galatians 5 in my life more than I was yesterday? Now, it doesn't happen automatically. There's work, there's commitment, there's discipline, but it starts with the foundation of the Word of God in our lives. And understand this, if I'm a follower of Jesus, fruit is expected. Here's the thing. Fruitfulness is an indicator of a life spent and focused on Christ. Fruitfulness is an indicator of a life spent and focused on Christ. When we are rightfully focused on Jesus, we cannot help but naturally reflect Jesus to the world around us. We want to see the community of the world and the 1.4 million people in the upstate of South Carolina changed and shaken by the gospel of Jesus. We have to be a people connected, remaining in him and showing that fruit because of, we are, because of our stance of abiding in him. It leads us to the last point here. We saw first, we are to remain in him. Secondly, we are to produce fruit. And third, and finally, someone connected to Christ experiences joy. Someone connected to Christ experiences joy. And it kind of seems kind of off kilter here for Jesus to mention this because we've talked about vine or vine, a vine and branches. We've talked about fruit. Now we're talking about joy. What does this mean? 
How, how does this fit with the previous nine verses we've read? Well, in verse 10, what he makes clear is that abiding actually leads to obedience in our lives. To be wholly dependent on Christ is not just hearing from the word of God, but applying the word of God to my life. That is, if all I'm doing is just reading and walking away unchanged, that's not fully abiding. That's just hearing some great stories. We need to see it change our lives, and that should lead to obedience here. Verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will remain in my love. You will be connected in my love. Notice here, the, the precursors to joy being produced in our life, to being experienced in our life, is this. Obedience and love. You'll notice all the way through Scripture to rightly love God is to rightly obey his commands. To rightly obey his commands is to rightly love God. They are interconnected. You cannot separate the two. It would be like me looking at Melody and saying, I love you, but I'm never going to show up in our marriage. You would look at me and say, he probably doesn't love his wife. Love is always followed. True love is always followed by obedience. Obedience always showcases true love. And so love and obedience are together. And what Jesus is saying here is that we obey his commandments. And when we keep his commandments and abide in his love, verse 11, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, the fulfillment of, of these 11 verses, what Jesus is saying here is this. When you abide in me, when you remain in me, when you're hearing from my words, when you're producing fruit, the natural outcome here is everlasting joy. Now, we have to be careful here because a lot of times we confuse joy with happiness. We think joy means that I walk into every situation with a smile on. That's just weird, right? I walk in a horrible situation, I'm just smiling because I have joy. Cool to you if you do that, but that's not me. Happiness is temporary situations. Joy is everlasting that transcends situations. Joy is only given by Christ. So that I can walk into the grieving situation. I can walk into moments like the disciples were about to. I was literally reading it this morning. How they had walked into the moment of crucifixion and they all scatter in the garden. And next time we see them in John's gospel, at the end of John's gospel, is that Jesus is reconciling them, namely Peter. And he's restoring him to the joy that is found only in Jesus. You see, your circumstances and situations will change, but joy that is found in Jesus will never change. And so the natural outworking here is simply this. For the person who remains, who abides in Jesus, who is pouring the word of Jesus in our lives, we produce fruit and we experience full joy. It doesn't mean you don't suffer. It doesn't mean you don't face hard times. What it does mean is that you have joy that transcends those moments in the one who never changes whether it's a valley or a mountaintop. And so joy is the expectation for the Christian to experience here. Are you a Christian that is filled with joy? I think it's, it's, it's an oxymoron that we have Christians that aren't showcasing joy. This is why when I meet a person who follows Jesus that is miserable, it really befuddles me. I'm like, I get, like we walk through some stuff sometimes and there are seasons that are tough. But if you're consistently a miserable Christian, man, you need to go back and, and check, are you abiding in Christ? That's why I'll, I'll be blunt with you sometimes. I'm like, listen, like, I don't want to be around you if you're a miserable Christian because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean that we're all happy-go-lucky in clouds and sunshine every day. But what it does mean 
is that no matter the situation, I have joy that I can latch on to with Jesus. He is the unchanging foundation, the unchanging one who I abide in. So at the end of the day, here's some questions to help us connect as we go deeper. To go back to remaining in him. Am I willing to make the commitment to open up the word of God regularly? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the expectation. You know, I had a text the other week from uh, an athlete I worked with, and it was late at night on Monday. I say late, it's 10 o'clock. Uh, and, and the athlete said, I don't know if you're awake or not. And I, and I just said, bro, it's Monday night football. I'm awake, you know. So we started texting, and the, the question becomes, how do I grow closer to Jesus? question a lot of us ask. And I said, well, first and foremost, do you know Jesus? Do you know the true vine? That's the foundation. Before we go any farther, you have to know the true Jesus. The athlete said, yes. I said, okay, well, the next part is what we're talking about here today, that we connect with the word of God. And I said, for me, for so many years, if I look back to all the way in 2007, when I wandered in the church, and I didn't know what I was doing there, and I didn't really know the Jesus fully there, what has changed my life in the 16 years since primarily is here in the word of God. I can look back on those 16 years and say, man, I see some rough patches in my life. I see some seasons that I haven't produced a lot of fruit, maybe. I've seen some seasons where I've wanted to have one foot in the world, but it's the word of God that continuously calls me back to him. And the cool part about this conversation was that we started to read the gospel of Mark together. And over the past few weeks, as we've read the gospel of Mark together, I can already see in little moments, little instances, how the gospel of Mark is shaping and reframing this heart. This is the power of the word of God when we connect with it. So followers of Jesus in here simply is this. As we go deeper, as we seek to connect with Jesus, am I willing to make the commitment to open up the word of God and let it change me as it will? Because if we're going to see a move of God over the next two years as we go deeper, it has to start here. Before we even think about commitment or community or commission, it starts here in the Word of God with me. Open up the Word of God regularly. Open it up consistently. And watch how the Lord will change your life, not only your life, but the lives around you for the next two years here. Are you willing to go deeper and to connect with God to see what his word might do in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're a God who gives us your word, even when our hearts don't want it. And I know so many days that I wake up, my, my first desire is not your word, but because you've shown me the need for your word in my life, I never walk away from it, not being challenged or changed. So God, I, I pray in this moment, first and foremost, for those who don't know Jesus, that they would see that you are the true vine. You are the one they need. You are the place they need to abide and rest and find connection. And that today they would start that conversation. God, I pray for those of us in here who have already trusted you, that we would simply seek to connect with you by prioritizing your word in our lives, that we would remain in you, we would produce fruit, and we would experience joy because of you. So Jesus, I pray that you would move during this time. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.